millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jim Daduchu, and what we're doing this time around is Star Trek. Space, the final frontier. Because, wow, it doesn't really get much more pop culture than that, does it? So... I've got so much to go into here, but the key point, if you like, of all of this is people talk about science fiction as if it's not based in reality, whereas all science fiction is, is a reflection of the current affairs of its time. And particularly if you go back to the 1960s original TV show, it is very much a reflection of 60s anxieties and politics and therefore has preserved it in a glorious technicolor coating something that's far more dark so i'm actually going to spend most of my time on this particular podcast going through the pop culture and then at the end i will be talking about the analogies going on as well so let's jump into it star trek is the brainchild of Gene Roddenberry. I mean, this is something that probably everybody knows. But allow me to go through the process of how Star Trek is still a going concern when you consider that it is a brand that started 11 years before Star Wars and yet still has millions of fans the world around. So, in 1966, we get the start of Indian 3 series of the original show. You know, Captain Kirk, Spock, etc. That runs from 66 to 68. But it was quite expensive. And this is an example where pop culture, as I said earlier, is, is not only a reflection, even though it's science fiction, of things at the time, but Star Trek did try and break boundaries. This is actually less of a big deal than today looking at it now so the reality is that back in the 60s there weren't very many people of color represented as key characters and if they were they were probably the worst kind of stereotypes that we're looking at so to have mr sulu as basically the chief navigator this is an asian man of actually japanese descent there he is on the bridge and also almost directly behind actually back and to the left is 
Uhura, we have a black woman, the chief navigation officer. So you have these two people of color on the bridge. Yeah, sure, we still got a white man, a very heterosexual white man, as the captain, Captain James Tiberius Kirk, played brilliantly by William Shatner. But you absolutely got representation there. And then the other one that's, again, a little less stunning today is we have Chekhov. Now, this is at the height of the Cold War. In 1966, America is fighting in Vietnam against communist forces. I've done a whole episode on the Vietnam War and its representation in pop culture. You can listen to that one if you want sort of further information about that. I say no more. But the point is, if he's Chekhov, he is Russian, and the Russians are part of the Soviet Union, and in the 1960s in the Cold War, they're the enemy. And yet you can see, if you like, the whole point of Gene Roddenberry is look at all these different races and creeds, and they're all getting on fine. Humanity is humanity. The great thing about Gene Roddenberry's basic idea of Star Trek is this optimism, which very much has been wiped away, in, particularly in sci-fi, in the intervening years. It's all become very dystopian and grim and gloomy and things like that. This is bright and hopeful and basically saying in the future we're all going to work together as one peoples which is a lovely idea but like i say in modern tv people make sure that there's absolutely representation there now we happen to know subsequently that george takai the man who plays sulu is also a gay man now that's in no way referenced in the original tv show but we now know that so we've got a gay asian we have a black woman. We have a Russian there. And so we've got all these different people working together, which is just lovely to see. But nowadays, that's almost like the blueprint for everything else. Indeed, Star Trek has the claim to fame to show the first interracial kiss on network TV in America, where, for various reasons, there were quite a lot of episodes involving mind control. To keep budgets to a minimum, the amount of times that they travel back to a planet which just happens to be set in the Wild West, or there's a lot of Nazis in Star Trek as well, but it allows them to reuse the sets and scenery from other TV shows to have this thing going on. It's like, oh, they're turned out there space nazis or whatever it's all they've traveled back in time to the wild west or what have you it's clever it, you know it's just a way to keep the budgets manageable because the original pilot of star trek was at the time the most expensive tv pilot ever made that one didn't star captain kirk it actually starred captain pike and actually had the only character that was in it that made it to the main tv show was spock but it was so expensive that they ended up turning it into an episode. They used flashbacks as they're kind of explaining what happened to the crew, and because Spock's the one constant between the two, he's heavily involved in that particular episode. So, going back to the first interracial kiss, there was a demand that they filmed it a slightly different way so that you couldn't quite see their lips locking, because for the Southern America, that would be inflammatory but to William Shatner's credit every time they filmed it the other way basically he pulled a funny face so they couldn't use the cuts genius also there's the famous thing in the credits later on there's the green woman now she's in an early episode and the funny thing about that was 
they kept filming it and every time they sort of processed it she didn't look very green so they had to apply they had to shoot the scene multiple times and apply darker and darker green makeup on her to make her look green on the actual camera work the actual recording and in the end they found out what was happening is they had a very good chemist in the photographic department who basically didn't know she was meant to be green and kept color correcting it and so only in subsequent takes do they realize okay we need to actually tell people what we want out of this stuff and yes the 60s show is kind of hokey by modern standards what i'm saying it's incredibly progressive in terms of its gender politics racial politics etc what's interesting is the budget only went so far so a lot of the animals or monsters i should say were basically fancy dress costumes sprayed a different color with maybe a foam horn stuck on it or something like that i'm I'm looking at you the kind of orange gorilla suit with a horn on it look it worked when i was a little kid i absolutely adored the reruns of the star trek tv series which brings me beautifully on to the fact that because it was so expensive and because the viewing numbers were solid rather than amazing the final series series three that wasn't meant to be the last series but it's just like a case of okay this is getting a bit expensive we'll just quietly can it and yet at the same time basically towards the end of the 60s you have 2001 a space odyssey which sort of showed everybody what special effects could do for science fiction movies and of course you also had the moon landings and so space became really hot basically just after star trek finished and so it went into syndication now if you're not american this is kind of a weird way to think about it because in the uk or if you're in france or germany these countries are only a certain size and therefore you have the national broadcasters and that's it i'm putting aside things like satellite tv and streaming channels but let's say the year is 1980 you watch the bbc in britain for example then or itv but everybody gets to see the same tv shows whereas in america yes there are the national networks things like abc or nbc but then you've got basically all the different territories all the different states in essence have an opportunity to buy up various different shows and package them kind of the way they want to and that's called syndication so whereas the national networks were producing these shows and showing star trek they hadn't been syndicated yet they hadn't been put on local tv yet and that's when people started realizing that oh okay paramount is the parent company of star trek all right okay the, the syndicates keep renewing the star trek episodes so this is actually quite popular and indeed a lot of kids were wanting to buy toys and so there was this rush of really cheap toys back in the 70s and 60s what you would do is rebadge so let's say you've got a ray gun just a generic ray gun and you know for a while it might be the 2001 space odyssey ray gun then it might be the planet of the apes ray gun you just change the packaging you might change the sticker on the side of it and then it's the star trek ray gun as well even though it doesn't look anything like the actual weapons from the star trek tv show it's got the logo kids are stupid they'll just buy it even as a child i could recognize that these things weren't particularly good but it was really the 70s and particularly after star wars that they got the kids want to play what they see on the screen so that became more of an important thing later on 
way after the original TV show of Star Trek. So, I mean, there are toys and board games, and obviously nowadays you can collect all the original Star Treks. You might be able to see them on Paramount+, Plus, or you might be able to buy the Blu-rays of them, or whatever. So, like I say, with pop culture, this is one of the most pop culture things around. Yes, probably Star Wars beats it overall, but Star Wars isn't as old as Star Trek, for starters. So, all of this, this all sign of like, hmm, there's this interest in this show that we canned a few years ago. So, in 1973, they released Star Trek The Animated Series, where they actually got all the original actors back to voice themselves. And it's the very sort of Hannah and Barbera 1970s kind of animation. It's not something that you're going to sit there and go, oh, this is the greatest animation ever. It's relatively cheap. It's just about animated, but it's very true to the original TV series. And of course, because it's animated, they could have slightly bigger adventures as well. You could draw Klingon warships better or have like five of them on screen or something like that. So that was also a big hit. So what this led to is Paramount going, okay, it took years to sort of build up the momentum behind this. But what happened was they thought, well, I think it's time to create another TV show. And they actually got a fair way through the process. Indeed, they'd actually done the casting and things like that. When, in 1977, as I've already mentioned, this little art house movie called Star Wars came out and became the biggest grossing movie of all time at that time. And Paramount went, well, hang on, we've got a sci-fi property which even shares half the name rather than a war it's a trek and so they thought well let's actually turn this idea of the tv show the revamped tv show into a movie now the thing was that basically they could have got all of the original cast back for the tv show except for leonard nimoy he had basically had a falling out he was fed up of having his face put everywhere without earning any money from it basically as i said some people were calling it literally the spock show he was the most interesting thing in the show for a lot of people he was the only person who was an alien let's face it it was just pointy ears and pointy eyebrows it wasn't exactly the sort of prosthetics or cgi that would change the world but it was just enough to make him a little bit other and so Nimoy basically was pretty grumpy, and indeed his first autobiography was simply titled I Am Not Spock, and then goes into all the other things that he'd done in his career, including a terrible song about Bilbo Baggins. That's on YouTube if you don't believe me. With his long wooden pipe, fuzzy woolly toes, he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him, Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins. By the way, terrible songs by various stars from from star trek is a thing by the way so anyway i'll come back to that in a moment so he was a regular on the mission impossible tv show which obviously got turned into movies as well but didn't use any of the original cast so leonard nimoy like any actor he enjoyed his time on this particularly popular show but that was not the only thing he'd ever done and probably didn't want that to necessarily define him so basically because paramount knew that he was feeling hard done by particularly in terms of not so much royalties, he wasn't owed this money, he didn't own the character of Spock, but slapping your face on all these chintzy products and not earning a penny from them, well, that would annoy me as well. So in the end, basically Paramount gave him an undisclosed amount of money, probably quite a lot, 
And then he said, of course, I'm going to play Spock again in the motion picture. And indeed, Star Trek The Motion Picture comes out in 1979. They even used some of the people that they were going to use in the original new revamped show as sort of subsidiary characters in this particular movie. But the old crew was back. And it's generally considered a really dull movie. It eventually got revamped, and there are ways to see a kind of new re-edited version using better modern special effects, but also really cutting down the runtime, because basically what happens is this gigantic ship comes towards planet Earth, and it's threatening to destroy Earth, so they get the old crew back together on a re-commissioned Enterprise, which looks better than the 60s version, basically, and basically they go into this absolutely gigantic spaceship and they move from one area of the spaceship to the next area of the spaceship and it's really it's it feels more like 2001 a space odyssey than star wars it did all right at the box office obviously because this is going to keep the rest of the conversation going it did okay at the box office but it didn't blow off the doors and everybody recognized it wasn't really star trek in fact it wasn't really very good at all so then they were given less money, less time, to create a second movie called Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. This came out in 1982, and everything was redesigned. The, the ship, admittedly, was still basically the same. The Enterprise still looked like the Enterprise from the first movie. Basically, the main difference is they'd taken off the rather clunky 60s antenna dish at the front of the ship and changed it with like a, a cool, glowy, plasmary effect, which works pretty well. So that is Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, which most people consider is the all-time best Star Trek movie. It's, it's a really good film, and it actually has some very early CGI in it, as they explain the Genesis project. It's... A cracking thriller, basically, with the moments which are kind of sweaty, a bit like being in one of those submarine movies, as you've got these two hulks moving around, trying to find each other in this nebula, and it's just it's just a really well-put-together film, which ends on this horrible twist, if you like, that to save the Enterprise, to save everybody, Spock has got a lethal dose of radiation poison from in the reactor core, and so he dies. It's a wonderful moment as you sort of see the sacrifice of this alien to save humans, basically. And so that naturally leads on to 1984's The Search for Spock, where it turns out, hey, it's science fiction. You can always find a way to resurrect people. This one was not as good. It's, it's perfectly fine. And it introduces the world to the Klingon Bird of Prey, which is this incredibly cool-looking sci-fi design with also a cloaking device. Star Wars didn't have cloaking devices. And the great thing about the Klingons, which were very much revamped for the movies, looking back at the 60s, basically they look like the Vulcans, really. But now they sort of like, they're much heavier set. They've got these thick eyebrows. They're sort of wearing sort of semi-armor. Christopher Lloyd, who would go on to do Back to the Future. 84 is the search for spot. 85, I believe, is the Back to the Future. So basically he went from being a Klingon and a really good good hissable baddie to now the lovely doc that everybody loves so that brought back spock and then there was a real strange turn in 1986 to star trek the voyage home which involves time travel some more cgi but also they go back to 
at that point, modern day LA. And basically it's a bit of a comedy. And people also really love that one. It's the one with the whales, as people remember that one fondly. So that's 1986. So, But this is all hanging on an increasingly aging William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, etc., etc. And so what was interesting is in 1987, they, they rolled the dice and they took a really big gamble and they had Star Trek The Next Generation, which completely new cast, set a few years after, a decade or so, after the events of the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, and now we've got a new, larger Enterprise, which very coolly has the, the disc on the top, is able to separate so it can turn into two spaceships. How cool is that? And this time it's led by a man... Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Called Jean-Luc Picard, which is pretty French and yet spoken with perfect clipped received pronunciation by a bald British guy. Pretty much the opposite, where you're still sticking with the same gender and ethnicity, but a sort of tall, slim, bald 
British guy is the complete opposite of William Shatner. But it was basically a signal to everybody saying, hey, you know, we're going to be doing it differently. This is all different. Now, the Klingons, who had traditionally been the bad guys, you got one of them on board as well. So this is, if you like, their version of the end of the Cold War. Very, very clever. And so with this new injection of the next generation, it allowed the makers, Paramount, to hopefully spin this off. And so we actually have a period of time when there are some more Star Trek movies featuring the old crew with the TV show showing the new crew, which inevitably led to Star Trek Generations in the early 1990s, which had William Shatner meeting up with Jean-Luc Picard in another timeline thing, where Captain James T. Kirk is killed. He's basically shot in the back. It's one of the most controversial moments in Star Trek history. Yes, he's got to die somehow. Do you really ever kill off a legend? Surely they should have an option to sort of like head off into the sunset or something. Maybe die of old age in some undisclosed way. Instead, being shot in the back is a real chump's way. He doesn't go down saving the Enterprise. He doesn't sort of like take down 40 Klingon warriors with him. Being shot in the back is just a deeply unsatisfying way to, to kill off Kirk. But is anybody truly dead? Because, spoiler alert, there was a reboot in the 2000s so we get captain kirk again this time played by chris pine and so yes you've got this period where there's on the tv you can watch star trek but it's very different star trek to the star trek that you can see in the movies for the record patrick stewart who plays jean-luc picard technically doesn't sound like the way he sounds in the show either because he'd been a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company he'd spent years learning that kind of very clipped received pronunciation RP which he does a brilliant job of in that movie oh and TV show I should say as well but if you I've seen interviews with his brother and they come from the black country the Midlands the sort of the mining belt of Britain and he doesn't sound like that at all. So I'm not quite sure what Patrick sounds like when he's back home. But anyway, he, he tends to, when he's being interviewed and stuff like that, still have that very distinctive, very basically posh British accent. Right, okay, so I said I'd get to the history at some point, but I have already spent, you know, 20 plus minutes telling you about this, and I'm only on Next Generation. So Next Generation runs from 87 to 93. Deep Space Nine is the next Star Trek series, and that runs from 93 to 98. Deep Space Nine, again, is quite different. This is the first time the captain is a black man. And also, they don't go anywhere, because this is a space station. So if you like, this is it's the story of the week where people arrive at the space station, they have to do a diplomatic thing or whatever. Now, the story absolutely evolves, and there's a whole thing around... This idea came out about the same time as Babylon 5, which was a completely different sci-fi series and, and, and intellectual property rights. But the person who was touting the idea of a space station next to a kind of wormhole, so it had strategic value, but also allowed them to sort of like travel if they really had to, that was touted to Paramount. And they didn't pick it up. And then a few years later, they come up with Deep Space Nine. Now, I'm very careful with how I say this because there's been literally legal action around this and a hot amount of controversy. Two people can indeed come up with a very similar idea at the same time by coincidence. But was it a coincidence? You decide. Anyway, so that's 93 to 98, Deep Space Nine. Then, 95 to 2000, so you can see there's an overlap there again of Star Trek Voyager, where 
again, they did something different. This is where we get Captain Janeway, where it's the first female captain. And this time, Voyager has been blasted into completely the wrong part of the galaxy. And so they are completely disconnected from the Federation. It allows them to do anything they want, if you like, in this in this particular series. Yes, they can bring in certain things like the Borg. The Since the next generation, they've been the new big bad guys. They're in the original, you know, back in the 60s, the Klingons were the bad guys, and clearly they're analogous to the Soviet Union. And now with the Borg, well, they're not analogous to anything, but they're a great enemy. So there's a great movie, First Contact, again, widely considered the second best Star Trek movie, which is all about Jean-Luc Picard, so with the Next Generation crew, again, traveling back in time. This happens an awful lot, back to earlier in the future, where... Basically, they have to fight the Borg as the Borg slowly takes over the Enterprise. It's really good. And indeed, the Borg, when they appear in the original Next Generation show, they end up causing incredible amounts of damage and even converting, for a while, Jean-Luc Picard into a Borg called Lucutius, I believe. And it's a great ending where you suddenly see Jean-Luc Picard dressed up like the bad guys basically turned into a kind of a cyborg which is what the Borg basically are you know there's some really great episodes there's some really weird choices about Next Generation which ages it just as much as the original 60s one for example Carpet on the deck of a ship that doesn't happen kind of looks like someone's living room someone's lounge and also having the chief psychologist on the deck, probably not something that, I mean, absolutely have a psychologist, have a medic, medical deck, all th- things like that. That makes sense. But I'm not entirely sure they need to be on the bridge. You know, they don't need to navigate things. They don't need to communicate with alien species and they don't need to fire off weapons. So, yeah, a very 80s sort of look to things. So I mentioned we had Voyager 95 to 2000. So it's kind of like on their own. It sort of it reinforces the sheer size and scale of the universe, if you like, because they're they're very much separating. They're trying to get back to Federation space. The other thing that's happening by the time we get to Voyager, which finishes in 2000, is we're getting better and better TVs. And this is causing a problem because when you've got prosthetics slapped all over your face, like you're a Klingon or whatever, you can kind of see the joins. And so what they did is everything's filmed in a slightly soft focus. And that means that the special effects, the physical, practical effects look better. But it does look like, we tend to think of soft focus as something like a romantic comedy or somebody's about to kiss, which is a bit weird when the actual bridge is exploding at that time. So it's a slightly jarring choice, but it's a choice there because of the technology. Then in 2001 to 2004, we have Enterprise, where we see the very first Enterprise way before Captain Kirk. So if you like... That's the one that Captain Kirk, as a little boy, would have had as a poster on his wall, dreaming of becoming a, a star captain. And then everything goes quiet. From 2004 to 2009, there's no Star Trek at all. It's the first time there's been a break in the franchise since the, the original cancellation of the show back in 1968. Now, the first thing to come back is, again, something not quite Star Trekky. It's the reboot, the star, the J.J. Abrams reboot starring Chris Pine. I've already mentioned that in 2009. And it was a big hit. People liked it, but it was retelling the story of Captain Kirk and sort of changing certain things like Vulcan, where Spock comes from. He is a Vulcan. The planet's destroyed by the, the main bad guy of the first movie. 
And so it's different, and it's therefore referred to as the Kelvin timeline because it's meant to be running along adjacent to the rest of it. So if you like, William Shatner, Captain Kirk still exists. You know, those movies are still valid. But there's also in this alternate dimension, this other version of Captain Kirk, which is very de rigueur, you know, the whole multiverse of madness and also things like everything, everyone all at once. And so 2009, we get the reboot and there are various other films coming from the reboot as well. But then in 2017, we get Discovery, which is very different. We actually get blood and swearing and sexy time as well and the Klingons once again get rebooted and sort of look different again and a lot of people were saying it's really trying too hard and it does it's sort of like it's sort of cynical and gritty and it's not very Star Trek but at the same time can it all be Star Spangled awesome all the time you know is is that necessarily what modern audiences want what I found interesting is again in this one we've got even more people of different colors different genders different sexual orientations we have you know several people where it's a part of the whole timeline and part of the whole story an important story to absolutely normalize gay relationships etc so you know again we're seeing star trek showing everybody to be nice to everybody despite our differences or own world views we need to all just get on that's there but like i say i was sitting there going i'm not particularly comfortable with a sort of like swearing and blood if i want that i can watch predator or something like that but that's not necessarily what i'm tuning in for star trek and so discovery is a time of recording still running i believe its last season is going to be in 2024 but who knows if you know if people still like it, it you know it, it's evolved it's changed i have to say i turned off in season three because it was becoming so un-star trek i mean literally they're not wearing the uniforms anymore they don't have a ship anymore they're sort of like rebels fighting on this planet it was interesting but it was like this has turned into something a bit star warsy you know it's a bit like the mandalorian it's you know it wasn't really working for me and then in 2020 we get picard on amazon where we bring back jean-luc picard a very wrinkly Patrick Stewart replaying the, the role where, again, they brought in other people from various other episodes, other series. You know, these people have come back to it. And what's funny about that is, again, like Discovery, they tried to make it all edgy and people generally bounced off quite hard from it. And it really wasn't until season three that came out in 2022 that people were beginning to say okay this is kind of finding its footing now to be fair to pilots i've already mentioned how the very first star trek pilot didn't work you know when it comes to pilots when it comes to you know what do you do to please the fans do you give them exactly what they want in which case that people are going to say it's just more of the same fair enough or do you give them something different in which case people say that's too far off the menu that i like to to choose from so I'm not saying that I have the answer there, but it's one of these things where at least with Star Trek, they are with the likes of Discovery and Picard and the reboot. They are actually trying some different things. But generally, when they push too far off the, the core elements, they tend to get into trouble and people don't tend to go and see the movies. That's been the problem with the reboot films. The third one, second one did OK. Third one really didn't do well at all. And, you know, they keep saying there's going to be a fourth one. But when's it going to happen? Right. OK, so... I spent so long talking about it. But then again, we are talking about 60 plus years of of this stuff. You know, it, it's it, it's Star Trek has been around for literally, I mean, there is Star Trek generations, but literally it's been around for generations. People who are basically grandparents now 
would have grown up with Star Trek and could sit there with their kids and play with a Starship Enterprise and everybody makes that contact there, that connection, which is lovely. But as I said, going back to the 60s, it's an analogy for the Cold War. There are several episodes that are quite overt about this, about how you've got the Klingon Empire and the Human Federation. Basically, the Human Federation is all the best things about Western democracies, and the Klingons are these kind of warlike, aggressive peoples who are kind of sneaky and not to be trusted. Soviet Union. Now, of course, that hasn't aged particularly well, although it's hard to see the Soviet Union. We now realise how scared both sides were of each other, and there's no doubt that the West was more warlike than they perhaps realised and scared the, the Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union weren't exactly a bunch of peace-loving hippies either. So, you know, it's one of these things where when you're staring at the enemy across a trench or across barbed wire, you start putting all your negative elements on them. But what's really important in this is it does show you that this, this sort of plan of how human beings can work together by the time you get to the Federation, there is no money. They're the famous teleporters, which can teleport you from the ship down to the planet surface. Why did they do that? Because it saved money, rather than having a sort of like shuttle or and like scenes where they're sort of having to land, which would be extremely expensive model work in the 1960s. Let's just have them appear using some basic special effects. Very clever. Eventually, they were actually given a shuttle, but quite why was never explained satisfactorily. Then, when you get to the next generation... They kind of predate 3D printing, in a way. They have this replicator where basically you just stand there and the classic thing that Jean-Luc Picard will say, Earl Grey, hot, and then ping, in, it appears a mug with steaming hot Earl Grey tea in it. Earl Grey tea hot, I, I believe is the line. Anyway, and so, of course, nowadays with 3D printers, you if you have the file, you can't obviously can't eat it. Please do not eat 3D prints, but you can create almost anything. And people are indeed referring to it as the second industrial revolution, because at home, if a little component in a machine breaks, you can 3D print that little component and you can have it ready to go now rather than waiting for it to be sent via DHL and it'll take, you know, a week or something like that for them to manufacture it, put it in DHL and get it over to your premises. You could literally just download it. And people are saying this is the future of space exploration. If we're going to land on Mars... We can't send everything with them, but if we send them a 3D printer, then they, obviously they'll be able to, to create all kinds of things. And I've worked for a company which has 3D printers using titanium. And I've never understood this. I get the plastic ones because basically they melt plastic and it's sort of like layered. But it's exactly the same thing with titanium, but they obviously they can't use solid titanium because the whole point of titanium is it's really hard. What they do is they have titanium granules. It's almost like iron filings but made out of titanium and a laser so basically as you're sprinkling the titanium dust onto it the lasers heat it up so it turns molten and so basically it then starts layering as if it's plastic but when it cools you now have something made out of titanium a 3d thing so that's absolutely could be used like on mars to create a new hydraulic pump or whatever you need it to do and it will work just as well as if you'd bought one off amazon on planet earth so if you like star trek is sort of giving us ideas of like what we could be doing in the future and an important thing is representation if people don't see themselves in a positive light that can cause problems maybe i'm only good enough to be a street cleaner or something like that but we've had men women people of color various sort of like sexual orientations etc no matter who you are you will see yourself 
in a Star Trek episode, and that's so important. But then we get to the Enterprise, because there was a warship called the USS Enterprise, then there was an aircraft carrier called the Enterprise, and then basically Jean-Luc Picard has a little area where it shows you all the different Enterprises over the eras. So when they wanted, when NASA asked people to come up with a name for their first space shuttle... This was in the 1980s, so people were more sensible than they are today, so it wasn't called Boaty McBoatface. Instead, it was called the Enterprise. And indeed, the Enterprise name still continues to be used by both NASA and the US Navy and, and military as a nod to this thing. So if you like, the actual show itself was a nod to reality, but now reality is doing a nod to the show, and that sound you can hear is the snake eating its tail. As you can see, I really quite like Star Trek. I think it's a very positive message. It hasn't got it right all the time. Like I said, it's struggled with Discovery. It's struggled with that period where people seem to have kind of given up on it. I never actually watched Enterprise because I was, by then I was sort of doing my own thing, basically. I was, uh, you know, I wasn't quite having a family, but I was, you know, as an adult and I was going to pubs and clubs and things like that. I wasn't necessarily spending my time watching sci-fi shows. But... It's basically re-evolved itself and reinvented itself for every new generation, which is something to give its credit. Star Wars hasn't really done that. It hasn't really sort of created something fundamentally new and different to what it's always been. I guess Andor's probably the closest thing to that, but that's only a kind of in that situation. So Star Trek, probably right now at time of recording, is secondary to Star Wars. But actually, Star Trek has shown the way to sort of like move to the future. And Star Wars has certainly taken a kicking since that man J.J. Abrams once again got involved with Star Wars and it all started going horribly wrong with the second new movie. That's it from me, as always. Oh, by the way, I need to do... Sorry, I'm going to finish off with a shout out, okay? He doesn't want me to use his name, but Strolling in Time, if you want to look at Strolling in Time on YouTube or indeed on Twitter, that was the person who gave me this suggestion. Thank you so much. He actually gave me a multiple suggestions. So I'm just telling you right now, Mr. Strolling in Time, this is the one time I'm going to overtly reference Strolling in Time, but I think I've now said it about five times, so you're welcome. Uh, and I just want to say, yeah, check out his stuff. He does kind of his own history stuff as well. So do do have a look at that. He's a really good guy. But yeah, he came up with multiple ideas. As I said, I do do requests. And because I'm doing two episodes a week now, I can do with some of them because I'm not necessarily always going to come up with two brand new ideas every single week. So please, I'm at Jem Daduccio on Twitter. Say hello. Let me know what you think. Are you a fan of Star Trek? Would love to hear. Who's your favourite character? Do you prefer Star Trek over Star Wars? I think on balance, I still prefer Star Wars, but that's just me, personal opinion and everything. And as always, another episode coming soon. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 